1: Hello and welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Katie Halper. And I'm Mary Mette. How you doing, Aaron?
2: I'm well, I'm well, how are you? Braving the heat wave?
1: Yeah, I've uh, been staying uh, in some AC. I'm not in the city right now, which is nice because it's not quite as uh, uh, hot and humid here, but it's a very terrible thing that we're experiencing right now. It's hard to make small cha- small talk about the weather now. Yeah, no,
2: it's true. This is the one time of the year when you, you know, the weather is not really, a candidate for small chat because it's dire
1: yeah i mean it's probably not just the one uh, time of the year i think it's a constant but it's uh hitting home for us maybe in ways that it doesn't usually yeah all right well such an upbeat way to start the show uh let's just move forward because we can't get any more positive than we can with the four (laughs) basic food groups
2: for this week's democrats suck we have jake sullivan who is the national security advisor of the united states he was speaking at something called the Aspen Security Forum, which is a gathering of top national security officials and journalists who basically act as their stenographers to talk about U.S. foreign policy. And Jake Sullivan was asked by Jeffrey Goldberg, the editor-in-chief of The Atlantic Magazine and a uh, propagandist for the Iraq War, so shout out to Jeffrey Goldberg, about whether he's worried about U.S. taxpayers being concerned that they're funding a proxy war in Ukraine not taking care of needs at home. And Jake Sullivan's answer was very illuminating.
0: How worried are you about the American people staying power on this issue? Granted, there are no American troops involved, but we do have a short attention span. The war has become grinding in a kind of way. Do you worry about criticism that we're spending billions and millions of dollars to support Ukraine and not spending it here? It's my job to worry, so I worry about literally everything. I worry about my answer to this question. Um, <laughs> So, yes, I guess I worry, but in a way, that's sort of not saying anything at all. Um, uh, this, I mean, is the, this is the being John Malkovich portion <laughs> of, the, of, our, of our session. But fundamentally, no. And I think it's very important for uh, Putin to understand what exactly he's up against from the point of view of the United States' staying power. Number one, Congress passed a $40 billion package for Ukraine, of which a substantial amount remains, and we are uh, working on a month-by-month basis to move weapons at, you know, at a pace, as I said before, that the Ukrainians can actually absorb and get out onto the battlefield with trained personnel to deploy them. That can go on just on the basis of what we have already had allocated to us in resources for a considerable period of time. And then I strongly believe that there will be bipartisan support in the Congress to re-up those resources should it become necessary. Does that mean that there is the same level of intensity in the American public as there was in the early weeks of the war? Is it on TV 24 seven? No, but is the reservoir of support in this country as translated into the Congress and the executive branch deep and sustainable from the point of view of doing whatever it takes for, as the president has said, as long as it takes? Yes.
1: What a relief.
0: What a relief, So, okay, this is like a Democrat
2: suck on so many different levels. First of all, Jake Sullivan is saying, is asked, are you worried about Americans pointing out that we're spending all this money on a proxy war, not at home? And he says, fundamentally, no. So he doesn't really care whether or not U.S. citizens, taxpayers will say that. And also the reason he can say that he doesn't care about American public opinion is because Congress, led by Democrats, controlled by Democrats, has already given the administration $40 billion, which he says will allow the U.S. to continue the proxy war for a considerable amount of time. And he says, even if we run out of money, he's confident that Congress will re-up the proxy we're funding again, if need be. So public opinion be damned. And uh, I just find that there's so many reasons to find that contemptible, but the disdain he has for American public opinion, where... Even if they turn against the war, it won't matter because Congress will be able to turn around and vote for more money anyway. And he's celebrating that. And this is at a time when the administration is framing this war as a defense of democracy. Okay. Well, what's more anti-democratic than like not caring about what people think to fund a devastating proxy war? But that just doesn't cross Jake Sullivan's mind.
1: He's so steeped in democracy. You can't even conceive <laughs> of anything exactly yeah also i like the way he shares about it. i like the way he personalizes it i guess he has some kind of low-grade anxiety he worries about things all the time he worries about his answers but uh doesn't worry about geopolitical matters particularly
2: yeah that's some classic like fake self-deprecation he's trying to look yeah, humble know. and right uh, self-aware and yeah yeah but it fails pretty miserably it comes off as so phony. yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah he comes off as kind of robotic
2: yeah so. so that's democrats suck
1: so for republicans suck uh we got a great clip of Rep. marjorie taylor green saying some uh interesting things about uh what the republican party should be doing and this is uh during an interview with the conservative next news network while attending the turning point usa student action summit in florida
0: taylor hansen here with next news network and i am here with the one and only beautiful marjorie taylor Greene. Say hello to everyone. Marjorie.
1: Oh, hi everyone, and I'm happy to be here with you, Taylor. So
0: I just have a few questions for you today. First off, being what do you think is the primary focus of the GOP going into 2022? What should it be opposed to? What it is it?
1: Oh, wow, that that's a tough question because there's a lot of things that should be. I think Republicans really need to recognize uh, the people they represent. Okay, their voters, not the, not the lobbyist donors, not the corporate PACs, not. Not those people. That's not who the Republican Party should represent. Uh, we need to be the party of nationalism. And I'm a Christian and I say it proudly. We should be Christian nationalists. And when Republicans learn to represent most of the people that vote for them, then we will be the party that continues to grow without having to chase down certain identities or chase down uh, you know, certain segments of people. We just need to represent Americans. And most Americans, no matter how they vote, really care about the same things. Um, and, and I want to see Republicans actually do their job. That's Absolutely. what I
0: want to see. It'd be crazy, right? First okay. time in a long time.
1: Yeah. I mean, and <laughs> am we might continue to hold power. Might have we, a heart yeah. attack.
0: Woo. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so Aaron, it sounds like, and I'm very upset about this, but the Republican party that she envisions may not have room for you and me.
2: <laughs> Unless we become we Christian nationalists.
1: We could do that. Right.
2: Yeah. There's yeah. still time.
1: There's still time. Yeah. What do you have to do to become uh, a Christian nationalist? I don't know. That's a good question. Well, first you got to convert, which is fairly okay. easy. Apparently. I think it's a pretty easy conversion. Ju- but, then after Judaism you, is hard.
2: but then after you convert, like where does the nationalist part come in? What do you have to do to proclaim that you're a nationalist? I don't
1: so know. like, we have- you know,
2: Christian, yeah. you be like, you get baptized with the ceremony. okay, Great. Sure. Right? But then is there, is there a nationalism ceremony to show that you're a Christian nationalist?
1: Right. What well, would you get baptized in? Like a big vat of American apple pie or something?
2: Yeah. Or do you have to commit a hate crime or something to <laughs> show yeah. you're a bona fide? Na- yeah. Yeah. Know.
1: That and that is why Republicans suck. Just one example of Republicans suck. I think it's a pretty good candidate.
2: It's a very good candidate, but to me, it's also a double. Uh, it also doubles as a Democrat suck because yet as wacky and as bigoted as marjorie taylor green sounds
1: and, the- and theocratic
2: and theocratic as she sounds she's still better than democrats on some pretty important issues namely the ukraine proxy war which she voted against and also freeing julian assange she has said things that no progressive member of congress would dare say in defense of julian assange in defense of freedom of the press so democrats suck so bad that even someone like marjorie taylor green who says such insane things such as that can outflank them on the left. And that's uh that's scary.
1: Yeah, on, cer- on certain issues. Although I don't even know if it's on the left, like outflank them in terms of being on the right side of history. Well
2: you yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean I yeah or, not I mean, that she's a leftist co- but I mean no no not, no, no of course not, yeah. not that she's a leftist but just that these are positions that I would normally associate That'd with the left nice defending the free left speech took. and right. opposing worse.
1: So progressives out there, please don't let um, Marjorie Taylor Greene be better than you on any issue. It's a really, really huge embarrassment. This is a lunatic, theocrat, Christian nationalist, self-avowed Christian nationalist. Anyway, I like that tattooed guy. He's like edgy. Yeah, he's the hip Christian Christian nationalist. Good face of Christian nationalism, guys. Not your mama's Christian nationalism
2: All right, so for Isn't That Weird, we don't often cover what's happening in the world of uh, fashion, but this week we have a development that I think qualifies as a uh, weird entry, and that is uh, in the midst of a war on their country in which they are begging the world for billions of dollars more in weapons. The Zelensky's, Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, and his wife took time out to pose for Vogue magazine.
1: Nice black and white footage. What's happening here? Okay, so we see the Zelensky and his wife.
2: So yeah, that's a some footage from the photo shoot. It was uh, shot by Annie Leibovitz, the famed fashion photographer. And so that's really what Ukraine needs right now, not just uh, advanced weapons that could possibly trigger World War III, but Annie Leibovitz and her team of stylists and, uh, and crew members. Amazing how the Zelensky's had time for a really elaborate photo shoot in the midst of a war. And I wanna show my favorite picture from this photo shoot. It's pretty uh, stunning. It's uh, Vladimir Zelensky's wife, the first lady of Ukraine. There she is posing in front of a destroyed aircraft and clutching her chest. And there's all these Ukrainian soldiers around her, artfully arranged in these stern poses.
1: Very dramatic.
2: I will say that's definitely the best proxy war fashion shoot I've ever seen. Hands down.
1: Top five. I'll say top five. Top five. Really? Wow. Top credit. Proxy proxy war fashion shoots. Yeah. Yeah. I have a high stand high uh, high standard for that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that certainly is weird isn't that terrible so you guys may remember from last week that aaron presented a terrible that was about a woman who found a cigarette in the f- french fries or uh french fried chicken well that's so not terrible compared to this story which is uh i'm just going to read at the new york post the headline is snakes on a plane flight attendant finds severed snake head in airline meal just in case regular airline food wasn't disgusting enough, a Turkish flight attendant was left horrified after allegedly discovering a snakehead in their in-flight meal. A video detailing the culinary flight mare is cu- currently causing bouts of retching across social media. Uh, so gross. The skin-crawling incident reportedly reared its head on July 21st. On a Sun Express flight from Ankara, Turkey, to Dusseldorf, Germany, a flight attendant had just tucked into their crew meal whereupon after a few bites they discovered the head of the serpent leering up from the tray. Oh my God, that's so disgusting. So, I don't know how that happened, but there is going to be an investigation. Uh, According to uh, the spokesperson for the airline, Uh, It is our top priority that the services we provide to our guests on our aircraft are of the highest quality and that both our guests and employees have a comfortable and safe flight experience. The allegations and shares in the press regarding in-flight food service are absolutely unacceptable.
2: This sounds to me like a film buff who went just way too far. Someone who loved that movie Snakes on a Plane and took it to the next level to put a snake head on a plane Via the, uh, the in-flight meal too far yeah, with that one, love yeah. for cinema
1: don't do it guys anyone else out there who's trying to be inspired by uh film titles to to do terrible things to snakes or what else would you have let's see
2: you know like something benign you could do for example you know i think the last movie i saw in the theaters was licorice pizza so oh, you can yeah. make licorice pizza that would be okay if you wanted to do that
1: right yeah go crazy with that Go crazy. Yeah. As a prank, put some licorice on someone's pizza. That's Yeah, candy. do that, do that. Do that. None but don't take it
2: to snakes on a plane.
1: Yeah, that's too much. That's yeah. a bridge too far. Katie, All right, so
0: go. uh, did you read this line out loud? Because it sounds like such beautiful, okay. old great American novel writing that the New York Post fit into their story.
1: However, it then zooms in to reveal the snake's decapitated noggin, camouflaged amongst the roughage, like some ghoulish optical illusion.
0: It's Beautiful. That
1: is pretty poetic. By the way, I want to make it very clear that Turkish food is delicious and does not include snakes.
2: That is terrible. It's so
1: terrible. Yeah. I mean, it makes the cigarette thing look like nothing.
2: I can't wait to see what culinary nightmare makes the next. Isn't that terrible? I'm sure.
1: Yeah.
2: Although, what could top a snake head in there? No, a
1: snake head. Yeah. I guess it could Thank have been food. worse. It could have been the fu- the full snake.
2: That's true. It could have been worse.
1: It, could see, been it can worse. always be worse. We're so excited to be talking to claire daly and mick wallace they are members of the european parliament they are with ireland's independence for change party
2: and if you don't know them they are basically known around the world for being vocal critics of nato hegemony from the heart of nato inside the european parliament and you will see them often in viral clips criticizing neoliberal policy criticizing U.S. imperialism, and being really unapologetically principled. And because of that, they get a lot of hate and vitriol directed their way. So we're very excited to hear what they have to say about what's going on in the Ukraine proxy war and how it's impacting Europe and other matters that they care about.
1: And they're very outspoken on Assange also. That's right. All right, so without further ado, Claire Daly and Mick Wallace.
2: Mick Wallace, and Claire Daly, thank you for joining us.
3: No Butter. Thanks for having us.
2: So, Claire, you were just added to a list uh, put out by the Ukrainian government of supposed Russian propagandists, and they cite you in particular for two things, claiming that sanctions against Russia are making innocent people suffer, and that this whole Ukraine conflict is really a proxy war between nato and russia i'm wondering your response to being included in this list
3: yeah i mean look it obviously makes a bit disappointed he's not in it uh, say, we can't, yeah. uh, we're thinking that a uh, ukrainian intelligence must be a uh, pretty weak actually But um yeah i mean look the comments you read out are in our views that loads of people hold in ireland across europe across the world and their views which i believe to be true Uh, but they certainly aren't Russian propaganda in that regard and I suppose while it's disappointing, it's not surprising that this is now an attempt by the Zelensky government to silence and censor opposition abroad, having been on a binge of doing that internally, you know, silence and uh, shutting down opposition political parties, media outlets, moving against workers, against its own bureaucracy, and so on. So now they're obviously going on to the international stage. So I think, I mean, it's a Compliment really that they've noticed uh, what I've been saying. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. So uh yeah, it's a bit of a, a mad one really.
1: Mick, how much of an inferiority complex has this given you not being included? <laughs>
3: well, yeah, probably you
4: probably won't be surprised to hear I've actually I've actually I've had to deal with my inferiority complex most of my life, so I'm well used to it. So nothing new there. Uh.
1: Were you surprised by being included on the list, Claire? Or do you think no, that this I, is something that you've grown to expect?
3: No, I, I am surprised. I mean, when I see the list, there's some people who are so blatantly not on it. And then, you know, that there are people on it who really, there are MEPs on it, for example, who have a much lower profile and haven't raised the issue at all, if you like, compared to what Mick has. But uh, yeah, it's a bit surprising. I suppose the biggest surprise is the list at all. I mean, what is this about? Like, what's the penalty for being on the blacklist? What's going to happen to you? Like, you know, I mean, I wasn't planning on going on holidays to Ukraine or anything. I'd have to beat back the litany of Western politicians who seem to be going there to get their pictures taken at the moment, but I mean, is that the penalty? Are we being put out there as legitimate targets to be silenced? Because it doesn't actually say, I know some people in my office are freaking out a bit about that, like, but. the whole idea of the list is is reprehensible really I, and I think you know people across Europe and they have to ask this is a, a government that we're saying is a beacon of democracy and uh, human rights compliant and all the rest of it but this is behavior which actually the west rightly criticized Russia for and Ukraine seems to be just kind of aping it really so it's the list itself that's a surprise but yeah I mean I suppose in some ways it's uh it's good to know that what we're saying is is getting an audience and is, is having a reach.
2: So, Mick, help us understand what's going on in Europe right now. NATO states have joined the U.S. in this proxy war against Russia, sanctioning Russia, sending weapons to Ukraine. No serious push right now for diplomacy. And now Europe is facing the impact. Uh, just now there was this announcement that nations are going to cut their natural gas consumption by 15 percent or try to cut their consumption by 15 percent because they're so dependent on Russian energy. And as an outsider, it looks like Europe is essentially sabotaging its own well-being for the sake of a US-led proxy war. So as someone who's there, who is in the European Parliament, what is the attitude among leaders toward this proxy war? And is there any appetite right now or drive to end this war?
4: Well, sadly, um, there isn't an appetite for ending the war. There's been an appetite for fueling it uh, since it started uh, over five months ago now. And uh, it's obviously very disappointing for us. Um, The European leaders, uh, if you could call them that, um, have behaved in a very subservient manner uh, to the US-NATO agenda. And that's very worrying for us because it's not something that is in the interest of the ordinary people of Europe because we've said from the start that the sanctions would be self-destructive and they were going to have a bigger impact on the people of Europe than they're going to have on the Kremlin or Putin, that they weren't going to stop the war. And as it turns out, uh, well, yes, and some of the sanctions I'd say are definitely going to have a huge impact on the Russian economy. Uh, But right now the sanctions are uh, more immediately are going to have a massive impact on the standard of living of the majority of European citizens. Now, the idea that we would fuel a war in Ukraine, that we would pump more and more weapons in there to make sure the war didn't stop, and that uh, it would go on and on and on, at a cost to ourselves, isn't actually something that the ordinary people of Europe agree with. And there was a very interesting survey down there about three weeks ago by the European Council for Foreign Relations, which is a European body. And they found that over two to one of the Europeans that were surveyed in 10 of the EU countries, over two to one favored peace rather than punishing Russia. But sadly, the politicians are in a different place. And sadly as well, the mainstream media is in a different place. And the mainstream media and the politicians have behaved as if they were almost working for NATO. And that's really sad for us because uh, we want, uh, we like the idea of the European project, uh, of the European Union working in the interest of all its citizens. But sadly, that's not really what's happening at the moment. Now, it wasn't really, we wouldn't, we wouldn't say it was happening before the war either because gradually over the last 20 years different treaties have turned the eu project into a, a neoliberal project and it's the neoliberalism now is very much enshrined in the treaties of the eu so we were serving big the interest of big business before those of the ordinary people and we came to the european union in an effort to try and change that and reverse that trend but obviously this war has escalated problems Uh, but what we're going to see now is that there's going to be a bit of unrest among the people of europe when it hits their pocket when it hits their living standards and they're kind of wondering well what is this for and it's pretty obvious that the eu has made no attempt at diplomacy no attempt at getting people around the negotiation table and to just dismiss it all and say oh you can't talk to putin so he's a madman well listen I mean, we're not defending Putin. We've never said a good word about him in our lives. Uh, he's a right-wing neoliberal nationalist, and uh, he doesn't behave in a manner that we think a leader should behave in a country. But uh, we don't see a whole lot of leaders we like anywhere on the planet right now at the moment. And he's, he's another one that we criticize. But the idea that you cannot have dialogue or diplomacy because you don't like the leader. I mean, what goddamn leader have we liked on any side of any war uh, in the last 70 years, tell me?
1: What about the effect that this is going to have on climate?
4: Well, uh, I'm I'm on the Environment Committee in the Parliament as well. And um, it's pretty obvious that uh, there's been a a serious rollback on environmental commitments. Uh, We're looking at a situation now where the the Germans are going to start digging up coal again. We're probably going to look at trying to import more liquid uh, liquefied Uh, LNG from uh, the Americans which is probably the most filthy gas uh, on the planet because it's uh, processed through fracking uh, which destroys uh, living conditions for a lot of the people that live in the area where it's fracked and then there's huge uh, methane emissions from the boats coming across the Atlantic as well to Europe. Obviously they're saying, oh we've we've got to lean ourselves off Russian gas and Russian oil but at the same time they're literally just going to jump into bed with some other uh, rogue supplier. I mean, we're we're actually looking. Ireland, for example, is going to buy uh, oil and get our gas. Uh, sorry, uh, the, the lot are buying gas from Israel. Now, Israel can't refine gas, but there's a deal being done where the Egyptians are going to refine it. So we're going to take it from uh, Israel via Egypt. Now, I mean, we don't defend. Uh, the the Russian uh, government, and by God, uh, good luck to anyone that tries to defend the Israeli one. Now, uh, we're also happy enough uh, to sit down and have buns and tea with the Saudis uh, on a regular basis and buy and sell stuff off them on a regular basis, despite it doesn't seem to matter how many heads they chop off in a month or it doesn't matter how many people, I mean, the UN report only last December showed that almost 400,000 were dead in Yemen and 15.8 million have been uh, pushed into extreme poverty. Uh, It's literally almost a genocide that the Saudis UAE are carrying out and they couldn't do it without the support of the Americans and the European member states. So we're actually, we're prepared. We have no problem doing business with the Saudis who are creating terrible human rights abuses in Yemen uh, we have no problem dealing with the Israelis who are continuing to commit uh, terrible human rights abuses against the Palestinians. And uh, but now we've all of a sudden we have a problem with Russia.
3: I think that's a key question, Katie, because I mean, we're in Europe now, and Europe is in the midst of an absolutely massive heat wave, drought, major rivers are drying up. There's going to be huge agricultural problems, and now the leadership across the EU is going back to digging up coal, as Mick says. This is going to be catastrophic, and when you add it on to the the price that we're paying uh, for energy, the reduction, the, Europe is on the verge of a, of a major, real catastrophe if this keeps going.
1: What's your response to the way that um, so many politicians and so many uh, industry spokespeople like to pretend that you can either save You can work on climate change or you can help people in their pocketbooks. Um, Like you can help people pay the bills or you can help the planet. How how can those two things be reconciled?
4: Unfortunately, too many of the politicians and look at the truth be told. I mean, I, I don't think the public need to be told that politicians tend to disappoint. And uh, unfortunately, we would argue that uh, the wrong people get involved in politics and uh, an awful lot of the people that do uh, seem to sell sell their souls uh, to vested interests very quickly and to corporate power. And uh, unfortunately, you would think the way that some of the politicians go on about, oh, listen, you know, yeah, you're right. We need to do this for the environment, but not yet. And oh, yeah, we need to do this for the environment. not at the cost of this or not at the cost of that and that they're not really taken on board that we actually have an emergency we have a climate emergency we are in serious trouble and we haven't done enough about it in the past despite the warnings we we have probably things have never looked as bad for the environment as they do right now and yet And yet our leaders are not prepared to do the right thing because they're they're still protecting big financial interests rather than doing the right thing. The right thing is the cheapest thing to do in the long term for everybody. But they're too goddamn stupid to see beyond the pints of their nose a lot of the time. But postponing doing the right thing on the environment is going to make it so much harder every goddamn day that we postpone it. And um, it, we are being very, very unfair uh, to generation, to the next generation or, or, or the one after it if, it, if it gets there. But uh, it, it's really, it's actually sad. And the leaders, so many of the leaders today are coming across almost as climate change deniers. They, they pretend that they're not, but they're behaving as if they are.
3: I think this idea is a bit of a fig leaf as well, like this either or, like it's actually a a lie being put out by big industry and big agri and all of the actual Um, structures or institutions that are responsible for climate change in the first place I mean obviously we're all responsible for our own footprint but the footprint of ordinary people is nothing compared to that of of big business and they're the ones who put out this idea because they're just really trying to protect their own profits and, and that's what we see and I mean it's shocking when you look at the European Union now on the verge of with serious you know climate problems in Europe And for the first time now we're spending huge amounts of money directly on arms and not just arms but arms into a conflict as well which is just the last thing it should be doing
4: Uh, people should realize that of all the measures that have been introduced on climate since they began i don't know many but 40 years ago not once have the military footprint been taken into consideration not once by any entity not by the un not by the EU, not by any member state government, not by the Americans, not by anybody. Why? What's the most important? How, how bad?
2: On the war in Ukraine, I wanted to ask you for your response to Jan Stoltenberg, the head of NATO. He recently spoke. I believe he was speaking before your, the body you serve in the European Parliament. And he said that people who are warning about the adverse impacts of this proxy war need to stop complaining.
5: So, so, so of course, yes, it has a price, but but, but not to act and just let that brutality continue and let that brutality of Russia be awarded is, for me, a higher price. Second, it is in our interest to help Ukraine. Because you have to understand that if Ukraine loses this, that is a danger for us that will make Europe even more vulnerable for Russian uh, aggression. Because then the lesson learned from Georgia in 2008, from annexing Crimea in 2014, from starting to undermine Donbas in 2014, and then the full-fledged brutal invasion by President Putin in February, is that they can just use force. They get their will. It's to re-establish an idea of spheres of influence where big powers can decide what smaller neighbours can do. And that will make all of us more vulnerable. So even if you don't care about the moral aspect of this, supporting the people of Ukraine, you should care about your own security interest. So therefore you have to pay. Pay for the support, pay for the humanitarian aid, pay the consequences of, of the economic sanctions, because the alternative is to pay a much higher price later on. And then remember one thing, yes, we pay a price, but the price we pay as the European Union, as NATO, is the price you can measure in currency, in money. The price they pay is measured in lives, lost every day. So you, you should just stop complaining and step up and provide support, full stop.
4: I was at that meeting. Uh, That was the Foreign Affairs Committee, right? And, uh, I mean, it was kind of fantasy stuff. And, I mean, I I got over two minutes to ask him questions as well. He wouldn't answer my questions properly. And uh, you should look at his response because uh, it's pathetic. Do you not think that we can actually have our values, our model, and they can have theirs? China is a very established culture. And they might not do things like we do them, and we don't do things like they do them. I mean... Uh, do you not see a prospect where we actually c- can live in peace? Uh, or do you actually foresee a possible war in the, in the next few years between the US and China? Thank you very much.
5: Um, then Mark Wallace, uh, China. Well, and then... as yeah, so, a China's defensive. Well, also why do they then invest so heavily in new long-range nuclear weapons? And more and more. And why do they actually deploy all these new submarines and why do they behave the way they behave for instance in the south uh, in, in the south china sea and then well of course i respect that china is a different country than than, than europe or norway or um, the other countries in this room but for me some human right values are universal the freedom of speech It's not something we just have in the Western part of the world. It's something we believe that every human being has the right to do. So when they crack down on free press, arrest uh, journalists, writers, those who disagree, that's fundamentally violating values we all believe in. He's trying to
4: make out that it's in the European interest to actually fight Russia down to the last Ukrainian. Now, it's actually pretty unfair on the Ukrainians, because they're the ones dying and the Russians dying as well. but it's actually not in our interest uh, for this war to continue. It's in our interest uh, to make for peace. And he's talking about it as if NATO were a force for good. I mean, listen, NATO is not a defensive organization. I, I'd like people to tell me when were NATO, when did NATO ever had anything to do with peace? And when did it ever have anything to do with defense? It's the bomb Belgrade back to the Stone Age. They were involved in Afghanistan for 20 years where millions have been displaced and hundreds of thousands killed and there's millions starving there at the moment, thanks to NATO and the US and the member states in Europe that support them. They were involved in Iraq. Libya, Libya is a basket case. The slave trade operates in Libya today. All the countries in the sub-Saharan Africa, in the Sahel are in turmoil because of the overspill from Libya and NATO bonded back to the Stone Age. NATO doesn't do anything positive. NATO, NATO promotes the US military agenda. It promotes the U.S. The military industrial complex. That's NATO's raison on that. And when another question that was put to him, apart from the Ukraine one, uh, at that meeting, I put it to him that at the summit in Madrid, that they, for the first time, they went gung-ho for China at the NATO summit. And they said that China now was a threat to our security in Europe. Now, there's no evidence to that effect, zero. And I asked him for the evidence. And he more, his, his response was mostly to the effect that, and I, I put it to him that the Americans were spending more money on arms than the next nine countries put together. And that included China and Russia. I put it to him that the Chinese hadn't dropped the bomb on anyone in 40 years. And there's not a day gone by in the last 40 years, but the Americans have dropped the bomb and so on. And I asked him, tell me, where's the evidence that China is a threat to us? They're our biggest trading partner. What do we want to be falling out with them for? They're not going to invade us. They want to do business with us. We want to do business with them. Why wouldn't we be falling out with them? I said, tell me why, I said. But of course, he went off then and in his reply, his response was all about, we have our values and they don't have our values. And I said, don't, well, hold on a minute now. Why don't we let them have their values and we'll have ours and, and let's live in peace. I said, isn't that not a logical uh, position? Why, wh- why are we the only ones with real values? Because what this is, this is an extension or it's not really an extension because colonialism never stopped. The Europeans still think in a colonial mindset. And I told the Americans, Right? And they think that they're the civilized ones and anyone who doesn't agree with them and, and, and bow to their uh, agenda, bow to, to, to the U.S. Uh, imperialism, they think, oh, they're not civilized. Oh, we need to educate them. or oh, we need to sort them. We educate them with fucking bombs. Yeah. Same as uh, the likes of Syria and Iran. Uh, oh, they had to be taught manners because they wouldn't accept the U.S. mantra. So they're the ones who don't understand. I mean, the idea that the Chinese uh, are not entitled to a culture of their of their own—they were sophisticated when we were still swinging our trees. They were, mm. and the same about the Iranians and the Syrians. These are some of the oldest cultures on earth, and we think that we have—we're the only ones uh, with the truth. It's absolute bollocks. Like.
3: It is. I mean, the arrogance is striking. And I mean, you could hear it in the clip. Your man had his little fans there, some of the MEPs, particularly the ones from the Baltic states and the Poles can't get enough of uh, NATO. They really lap it up, like, you know, and there's quite an actual anti-Russian element in that. But there's so much in what he says. I mean, he says, do we want to let that brutality continue? Well, there's brutality, as Mick says, going on all over the world. And not only are they not stopping it, but they're actually involved in it. And of course we don't. But the only way of dealing with the brutality is stopping the war. And that's the last thing that this lad wants. And it's obvious because he then goes on and says, oh, do we want Russia to be rewarded? And that's the issue, really because what they want is to fight a war with Russia. And you can see it, they hide it up, as Mick says, they talk about values and all this nonsense. But it actually dresses up the fact that the European Union is totally captured by the military industrial complex. This is all about arms. It's all about having an enemy that they can keep the war going and if they're not happy with, you know, see how this one goes on, there's another one on the burner now, let's pick at China and uh, stoke up the Taiwan thing. And if we're not getting enough sales here in Ukraine and that's not going on, should we can always pop up? And since we really, isn't it? I mean, since we went to, we were in the Irish parliament for years and um, we were saying the same things in the Irish parliament, as we were saying the European ones, we didn't get half as much grief as as we're getting um, now. But since we got here, The anti-Chinese and anti-Russian rhetoric has been there right from the start uh, and it's been totally ratcheted up now and unfortunately Putin's invasion has given them a certain legitimacy to that idea but like we were having fights with them all the time they'd say it's okay for you, you're on the other side of Europe, sitting there on your little island now, no one annoying you, you don't know what it was like to be occupied by Russia, you know bit of a stupid move on their part saying that this was the Baltic States, because actually while we weren't occupied by Russia, we were a country that was colonized and occupied for generations by a big neighbor. So actually, we know more than most European nations do. We're a kind of in an unusual spot where we're a Western, very much, I suppose, a country that's sort of rooted in Western Europe but we have an anti-colonial past. We were colonized ourselves. It's an unusual mix, actually, and Ireland could be playing a really good role in exposing a lot of what's going on here, but unfortunately, our government has gone in. So we get this mantra at home, oh, it's our security that's at stake. But they weren't saying that in Ireland, that we should rearm the IRA again in case the Brits come back. Uh, They certainly aren't saying that. What they're saying is we needed a peace agreement and we had a peace agreement. The U.S. in fairness at the time played a good role in delivering peace in Ireland. We had to sit down and live with people who carried out appalling atrocities uh, in our history and everyone's the better for it. And that's kind of what has to be done here. So why do we have to pay? That's the only thing that people deserve is is peace. And if, if, you know, the longer the war is going on that's the only way of the brutality continuing. Yeah, I
4: mean, Claire's point about You know, there was no initiative to rearm the IRA. And it would have been ludicrous if we had. It had been ludicrous for anyone to suggest it. But there was boxes of guns opened in Kiev, and you didn't have to sign for the gun. Mm -hmm. Now, listen, we're very, we defend the Palestinians morning, noon, and night. But under no circumstances would we recommend boxes of guns put into the West Bank or Gaza. For people to to just uh, pick them out of the box and not even sign for them. I mean, putting them in there in the first place would be just crazy. I mean, what's going to happen to all the guns that are in Ukraine? Imagine, uh, are they going to stay within Ukraine forever? I I have my doubts. And Europe, it will reap what it's sown. And I worry a lot about that too.
2: You guys, as you say, have been intensely vilified for your views a challenging US-led hegemony, do you think that's deterred other people in your position from speaking out? Have you spoken to lawmakers in the European Parliament and other bodies in Europe who agree with you but have basically been intimidated into silence?
3: Yeah, I mean, we have and we haven't, right? I mean, I think Nick mentioned earlier the European Parliament is incredibly unrepresentative of the population of Europe, there is a huge disconnect between the institutions and the people of Europe and some member states, the amount of people who vote would be really low, but we've definitely had MEPs and, and colleagues coming up to us saying that they wish that they that they agreed with the stance that we took that they would have voted against the parliament resolution um, initially but there was only 13 out of 700 people voted against it but they were afraid of the backlash at home um, so but that would be a minority I mean generally speaking most of the MEPs are pretty right-wing they're pretty unrepresentative um, but yeah it definitely it definitely put people off I mean why has the anti-war movement which is there not been able to kind of show its face as much there's been some really nice developments uh, of solidarity in Italy and in Greece workers refusing to handle uh, weapons going to the war but normally that type of stuff and protests would be ABC in any war but they've been able to muddy the water on this one and and make it seem a lot more complicated than a sort of a, than would be normal so Uh, Yeah, I mean, I suppose the short answer is it has been successful in silencing people. It even silenced business, as Mick said earlier. We were saying to the Germans, we can't understand. I mean, we're socialists, but we can't understand how German big business is allowing this madness and this sanctioning taking place. And they said, because they're afraid. Because when they tried, and they did, German business were carrying on doing business with Russia, but they were shamed out of it one by one. And they even were were, uh, circumstances of, trade unions and workplace committees being used to come out and say, well, we don't mind. We're prepared to sacrifice our jobs and our hours and our pay if we're supporting colleagues in Ukraine. Now, did you ever, I mean, the question will be is when they lose their jobs now very soon, are they going to be uh, in the same boat?
4: Yeah, I mean, people should understand the the nature of the politician as well, right? There's a few different problems, this animal. Um, First of all, the day he gets elected, he celebrates and the next day he starts preparing for the next election so for the majority of them everything they say and do is geared towards getting re-elected so a big part of that is staying on the right side of mainstream media and mainstream media has a powerful capacity to decide who actually gets in and it's one of the reasons that politics all across Europe is, is predominantly dominated by the right wing, despite the fact that not all the people are right wing. Uh, in fact, less than half the people are right wing, but about 90% of the politicians are right wing. So you kind of say to yourself, well, how does that happen? Well, there's a number of reasons. Like for example, at best, only two thirds vote. The, the, the one third that don't vote are generally poor and young. And the poor wouldn't vote for the for that most of the people that are getting in because they don't serve their interest. And sadly, the young people are so disillusioned with politics, they think it's waste of time voting because nothing changes. But in actual fact, uh, in Europe, especially in some countries like Ireland, there's a huge young population. And, but in Ireland, four out of five of the under 26 year olds don't vote. And there's, there's hundreds of thousands of them. They can change the structure of the government only they're just not doing it. But then one of the reasons they don't as well is that mainstream media or the government don't encourage them to go actually go out and vote and to actually participate in an active way in politics. The whole thing has been dumbed down. And sadly, too many of the people that get in pander to the mainstream media. Now we get hammered by them, but we've never pandered to them and uh, we've ever, ever, we were in the areas Parliament for eight and a half years and, we worked uh, independent of them and we don't what we thought was right and we didn't give a damn whether they liked it or not. But unfortunately, most politicians, like most of the MEPs, that even those that would like to have actually voted different, that would like to be speaking up and saying different in the European Parliament at the moment, they are scared of their life to go to that space because they're afraid that if they do, the mainstream media in their area will make sure they don't get back in. Mm-hmm.
3: And one of the reasons for the, I suppose, disenchantment that young people have all across Europe is this idea, and we hear all the time that the battle is one of democracy versus authoritarianism, but one of the reasons why people are disenchanted is that this so called democracy that we live under means people vote Once every five years, people get elected based on lies. They go in, they do the opposite. They don't represent people who voted for them. They don't change people's lives. They just generally speak and feather their own nests and keep neoliberal capitalism in place. So that's why people then are disenfranchised, because democracy isn't really having a chance to vote for somebody who will not do what they said they do isn't really having control over your life. And it just shows that the limits of this so-called democracy.
4: Yeah, I mean, we've gone out of our way to actually uh, say on a regular basis that democracy is about having a say in how your society, how your community is run, how your country is run. That's not happening. Unfortunately, because of how the system works, uh, the politicians don't feel under pressure to answer to the majority of the people. Like, for example, and I pointed it out uh, in the Parliament plenary there a few weeks back, if the pharmaceutical, arms industry, oil and coal uh, decide who gets to uh, become the president of America and where it costs about $2 billion to become president, well, whoever, whatever president gets in, well, he knows who he owes the favours to and he knows who put him there. And uh, it's those people who funded his campaign. They're the ones who put him there. They're the ones he's answerable to. Mm. So is, is, uh, is the American president working in the interest of the citizens of America? Absolutely not. So far as I'm concerned, uh, democracy is seriously overrated and, and it's pretty uh, thin on the ground at the moment. And I mean, and the way that we love to throw stones at the others, oh, you don't have a democracy. And yeah, I mean, is the Russian system authoritarian? Yeah, it is, yeah. And do we, do we like how it's run? Absolutely not. And uh, it's very possible that uh, Putin robbed the election in 2021 from uh, the communists, right? Uh, we would rather have seen win. But I mean, the idea that we're doing everything right and oh, we have, we abide by human rights or oh, we don't arrest journalists. And Stoltenberg actually said that to me about China. They arrest journalists and I roared up at him, Julian Assange, yeah. but he, he pretended not to hear, right? Mm-hmm. Julian Assange exposed US NATO war crimes and he's paying a price for it. He had the audacity to tell the truth. And it says so much about the mainstream media that so few of them are actually able to stand up and speak truthfully about the treatment of Julian Assange. Mm. So few of them are prepared to put pen to paper and said, this is outrageous. And this is criminal, what they're doing to Julian Assange. So the idea that the West honors the independence of of journalism, you know what now? You can can say what you like, right? (laughs) As long as it suits them. But if it doesn't, watch out.
3: As Mick always says, democracy is, you can say what you like, but you'll do what you're told.
1: Uh, Speaking of democracy, uh, shifting gears a little bit, I know, Claire, that you've been, you've put forward legislation about abortion. What is the status of abortion rights or lack thereof in Ireland right now? And to hear the rest of the interview, please go to usefulidiots.substack.com. That was great.
2: Claire Daly McWallis, these are some brave people. Glad they're there.
1: Yeah, yeah, love talking to them.
2: Speaking some rare sanity at a time when a lot of people have gone crazy. It's great yeah. to see.
1: Mm-hmm. Very rare. And it's crazy, as
2: we touched on, they get really vilified for what they're doing, especially in their home country of Ireland. All kinds of hit pieces, yeah. disingenuous attacks on them, taking their words out of context, the usual stuff, calling them Russian propagandists, all that stuff. But uh, right. they're a good model of how to be resilient in the face of- yeah disinformation campaigns and smear tactics. Just don't be afraid of being called names.
1: You know, don't let them get you down. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting what they were saying about how the the U.S. helped broker a like negotiations between uh, England and Ireland, because it's a reminder of what the U.S. could be doing with Russia and Ukraine and obviously isn't.
2: Yeah, that was a rare case of the U.S. uh, getting behind peace.
1: Yeah, really grateful that they came on.
2: Yeah yeah and for bonus content you can go to usefulidiots.substack.com to get parts of this interview that are only for subscribers and other bonus content
1: all right guys thanks so much see you next week bye hello thank you so much for listening to and watching useful idiots for full episodes and extended interviews please subscribe at usefulidiots.substack.com You can subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash useful idiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at useful idiot pod and use the hashtag useful idiots pod. Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the useful idiots Monday morning show where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch them.